0: In your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, where in what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, it is a model prayer. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. We've already looked at that. It's a model prayer. Pattern your prayers after this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. We've looked at that. Hallowed be thy name. That's what we want to look at this morning. Hallowed be thy name. I want to try to preach this in a way to honor the Jewish context in which this model prayer is given. Because when a Jewish person heard that phrase, Hallowed be thy name, their minds would have gone to numerous Old Testament passages, which I'll bring out later in the sermon. So let me start by saying this petition is a petition that God's name would be adored, that he would be high and lifted up. These first three petitions, "How would be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. These first three petitions concern God's desires. What God wants done. What is important to him. While I was driving one of my routes to Chicago, I listened to the entire book of Ezekiel. And there are numerous places in that prophet where God lets the people of Israel know what's important to him. In essence, what we're doing when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are asking God to act on his own behalf. And he's promised he would do that. So the model prayer starts with the person of God and his work these first three petitions, before it even mentions what we need or desire. And I think we should learn from that. We need to start with God and not ourselves. This one, hallowed be thy name, or as one commentator translated it, let your name be made holy. That should be our desire as well. What I'm trying to say then as we pray this petition, hallowed be thy name, God's desires should be our desires. We should be like David. Remember what it was said? What was said about David? A man after God's own heart. I've prayed that many times for myself, that I would be a man after after God's own heart. You can't help but read the Psalms and realize that I think that was true of David. We should also remember that the way this, these petitions actually start out, prayer should not be simply routine, but we should remember whose presence we are entering into when we pray. To whom we are praying. Hallowed be thy name. Let's define it. What does it mean to be hallowed? Let's define that. To hallow means to sanctify. To make and keep holy. Or to consider holy. One commentator said to... Hallow something is to treat as sacred, to hold someone as set apart and holy. I like that one. To hold someone as set apart and holy. And so we are asking, when we say hallowed be thy name, we are asking that God be regarded as holy and he would act in such a way to make himself known as holy. Now, let me take care of something here really quick. No one can make God any more holy than he is. We do not make God holy. We regard him as holy. We esteem him as holy as holy. We praise him as holy. In fact, don't take this wrong, but not even God himself can make himself more holy. He is absolutely, infinitely, eternally, and perfectly holy in all of his attributes, in all of his person. What is left is for us to recognize that holiness. And regard him as holy. Let me just ask a point of application here. A question of application. If we regard God as holy and esteem him as as such, what would that look like in our lives? Be ye holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so we need to acknowledge God as holy or regard him as holy. The same verb is actually used in, the, in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15, where it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. One commentator said it this way, And I quote, but in your hearts, hallow or sanctify Christ as the Holy Lord. What does that mean? It means to give God the place in our heart that he deserves. So it begins in the heart. And then it is lived out in our lives. Hallowed be thy name. So that kind of defines it for us, hopefully get that into our minds as we work through this sermon, what's the meaning of this request? This request is a request that God would hollow his name. We're asking God to act on his own behalf. It is a request that God's name be set apart by him in honor and glory, and that it would produce the respect, the awe, and the reverence that God deserves. However, when this prayer, this request is answered, it means that, number one, we will hallow hallow God's name. It will be true from in our hearts, because if we're praying this from our hearts, it's And if it's our desire that God would do this, then we would want to do it, right? I think that goes without saying. And so we are to reverence, honor, and acknowledge God's name, and hence God himself as holy. So we're asking God to act in such a way by his power so that others, including ourselves, but others will reverence, glorify, and consider God to be holy. That God would work, that he would act in such a way that the people of this world would be moved and motivated to give him the praise that he deserves. The fear, the respect, the awe, and to recognize him to be the holy God and honor and glorify him as such. Of course, we should want ourselves and others to regard God's name as holy and hence his person as holy so that the very thought of God's name, the very thought will produce a spirit of reverence and holy fear but that is lacking in the world and in many churches. And notice that this is the first request, and this should be our desire above all else as we pray. So as we define it, we give the meaning of the request, what, what's sometimes to learn what something means? We need to look at the opposite. What is the opposite of hallowed? I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 20. Numbers, chapter 20. In Numbers, chapter 20, children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness. In verse 2 of Numbers chapter 20, follow along in your Bibles as I read. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people strove with Moses and spoke, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? There's no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They fell upon their faces And the glory of the Lord appeared unto him. Now, that'd be a real sight, wouldn't it? Here the children of Israel are complaining, criticizing, actually speaking out against what God had promised to them. And Moses and Aaron leave the congregation, they bow themselves down, and all of a sudden God's glory appears. That would be awesome. And the Lord spoke unto Moses in verse 7, Take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and notice this, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth its water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. Verse 9, And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, he commanded him and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock and he said unto them this is what Moses said Hear now ye rebels must we fetch you water out of this rock and Moses lifted up his hand and with the rod that he had in his hand he smoked the rod twice More than likely out of anger. Smote the rock twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Notice what the Lord did not do. The Lord did not rebuke Moses in front of the people. He takes Moses in verse 12. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believed me not, first of all, they didn't believe, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. And this is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. Moses sinned in that he didn't hallow God's name. He didn't sanctify God. in the eyes of the children of Israel. What was Moses' sin? There are a number of things going on here. First of all, Moses took credit for what God did, and he profaned God's name. Second of all, of course, he did not obey God. He disobeyed God by not speaking to the rock. Instead, he hid it twice out of anger with the rod. Lost his temper. And though God could call his people stiff necked and rebellious people, Moses did not have a right to do that. He was guilty of rebellion and unbelief. In fact, I think it says it in verse 24. Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because ye rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. What Moses failed to do was to sanctify God, set him apart as holy, hallow his name in the eyes of the children of Israel. So what Moses did was the opposite of what we are praying in this model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Moses' actions did not hollow, did not set apart God's name as holy, one who was to be reverenced, honored, glorified in the eyes of the people. That's the opposite of hollow hallowed be thy name. Isaiah 48, 11 says this. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. As a result of Moses' disobedience, rebellion, taking to himself the credit, for bringing the water out of the rock, he was not allowed to enter in to the promised land. He failed to hallow God's name. What is the opposite of hallowed? Turn to the book of Malachi, if you would. Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, the opposite of sanctifying God's name, hallowing God's name, is to profane, to dishonor, or bring into disrespect. How do we do that? Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. A son, honor his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And you say, In what way have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And you say, In what way have we polluted thee? And what in that that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible? And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, isn't it not evil? If he offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Is there even among you that should shut the doors for nothing, neither do ye kindle fire on my altar for nothing. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the nations. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, and that you say, the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit of it, even its food, is contemptible. He said, also, behold, what a weariness is it. And you've sniffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And you've brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing, For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is terrible among the nations. Does it sound like the children of Israel were doing something wrong here? They were profaning God's name. How did they do that? Let me just, simple illustration. Here's a Jewish man, got a beautiful flock of sheep, and a lion one day comes in and ravages a sheep. And he takes that sheep ravaged by a lion, and offers it as a sacrifice to God instead of the male sheep in which is no blemish, not blind, not corrupt in any way. Because what he offered went against the law that God gave to Moses. That's how you profane God's name. Luke chapter 22, if you would, please. Luke chapter 22. Not Luke, Leviticus 22. Leviticus 22, Leviticus 22, verse 2, speak unto Aaron and to his sons, that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, the holy things here in its context would be all the sacrifices that the children of Israel offered and the priests were allowed to eat part of those sacrifices. that they profane not my holy name and those things which they hollow unto me, I am the Lord. And you can go through the, the whole chapter, and they're talking about if somebody's unclean or if they have unclean because of a dead body. And, 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 and I didn't uh, parse out the whole chapter. But the idea is only those who were clean, only those who were allowed by God to eat these sacrifices could do so. And if they disobeyed this, they were profaning the name of God. Look at verse 32. Neither shall you profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who halloweth you. And so here we see the priests, specific commandments to follow when it came to eating, the sacrifices or the parts thereof. No unclean person no foreigner you can go through the chapter that's how you profane god's name turn to ezekiel chapter 36 ezekiel chapter 36 verses 22 to 30 to 23 ezekiel 36 Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not do this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the nations in which ye went, to which ye went. And I will sanctify my great name which which was profaned among the nations, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. And if you read the context of chapter 36 of the book of Ezekiel, God is talking about the restoration of the people of Israel to the land of Israel. And he's saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring you back. Even though you've profaned my name, you've worshipped idols, I'm going to bring you back to this land so that my name is sanctified. My name is hallowed. So this is how we profane God's name, which is the opposite of to be hallowed. And this is really what is being done today. Not only to God's name, but, but the person of God. God's name is used as a swear word. God's name is taken in vain. God's character is ridiculed profaned. Evil is tolerated under the guise of proclaiming that God is love. He'll accept everybody just the way they are, while we're forgetting that God is absolutely and infinitely holy. God's character His person, his attributes are misrepresented today. I appreciated Brother Stephen's comment in Sunday school talking about the wrath of God. That is a misunderstood concept today. It's a concept that people don't want to talk about. I just read part of Revelation 15 this morning before Sunday school. When the seven last vials or bowls, are judgments that are poured out upon this earth. And they are filled up with the wrath of God. Even we can have a misguided and misunderstood concept of holiness. If you're in the Old Testament, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Many of you will recognize the passage, if you've read it before, but in Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah says, "In the year that King Uzziah died, in other words, kings can come and kings can go." I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him who cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah's response? Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Of course, we can't stop there. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth. He said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. What a blessing. When Isaiah saw the holiness of God, he was made aware of his sinfulness and iniquity. I don't remember which commentator said it. I want to ascribe it to C.H. Spurgeon. He said something along the lines, The closer a man or a woman gets to God, the more he will see His sinfulness. And then sometime pay attention to what I call the lesson of uncleanness in the Old Testament. If you had become unclean in the Old Testament, anything you touched became unclean and had to be cleansed. Incredible lesson of how sinful and iniquity-filled we are. And so these are some of the things I I hope I'm getting it across, the opposite of being hallowed. Let's talk about name for a second. Hallowed be thy name, and then I'm going to put the phrase together probably next week the week following next Sunday. Names do not mean as much to us today as they did to the Jews of the Old Testament or in Jesus' day. To us, a name is but a personal designation. It's a means of identification to distinguish one person from another. The Semitic Semitic perspective, a person, their name is closely related to what and who that person is. Much different than our names today. Our nicknames probably mean more, are more equivalent to what the Jewish people thought about a name. I had a nickname in high school. I had lots of nicknames, but I'm not going to tell you all of them. Some of them not very good. But one nickname in particular I got while I was on the gymnastics team. I worked pommel horse in gymnastics in high school. I was what was called a specialist. Got pretty good at that one event because that's all I did. That's all I practiced. In my junior year, there were three senior uh, pommel horse specialist, and they gave me a nickname. Fearless. Fearless Searless was my nickname. And the reason I got that nickname is because we would look up in a book or we would see somebody on a video, and we would see a new move for the pommel horse. And I generally, without fear, was one of the first ones to try that move. That's why they called me fearless. And so that nickname had some relation to me as a person, my character, if you would. I didn't care if I fell. Of course, Pommel Horse wasn't that far. I'd have cared if I was on high bar. I probably wouldn't have been as fearless on the high bar as I was on Pommel Horse. But my point is is that nickname said something about me. From a Jewish perspective... When you used somebody's name, it was referring to him as a person. In Hebrew, thought a person's name and the person were the same. The name was held to be bound up with the person in some way. It was how the Jews referred to God himself. The name stood for the whole character of the person or their activity. The name and the character or the qualities were associated with the name. They went together. We have an example of that in the scriptures, Matthew one twenty one, And she shall bring forth a son, and you will call his name? Call his name what? Jesus. Why? He will save his people from their sins. What does Jesus mean? Jehovah saves. The activity of Christ being named Jesus was linked together. So name Jesus. And activity went together turn to exodus chapter thirty four exodus chapter thirty four exodus chapter thirty four verses five through eight Moses had broken the original tables of the law god told him to come up and he Two more tables out. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Notice this and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation and Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped i want you to notice that the name of god and the activity Went together. The nature and work of God in verses 6 and 7 are equivalent to the name of God in verse 5. So the name and a person's activity went together. So when we say, Hallowed be thy name, we're using that word name, it speaks of the title, the person the power, authority, character, and reputation of God and what he does. All that is true of God, all that has been revealed concerning God, God in all of his attributes, God in all of his perfection, and his character, God in all that he is and has done and is doing and will do, is meant by the word name. What's in a name? Maybe only a couple of us here will remember this. Anybody remember the TVs called Zenith? Mike, you remember the Zenith TVs? Anybody else? How many remember the Zenith TV? You know, they had a saying. Can anybody tell, you, can anybody tell me what their slogan was? I've never forgotten this. The quality goes in before the name goes on they knew what was in a name the quality goes in before the name goes on if I were to mention a Rolex watch maybe it doesn't have the esteem that it used to but when you said Rolex that meant something or if I used the name Rolls-Royce. That's a car that I'm probably not even worthy to look at. When that name is used on a car, we immediately have respect for a, and a special regard for that car. In that name, Rolls-Royce is the reputation of a much-respected engineering firm behind that name, is the finest in mechanical engineering, advanced research, care and precision, and when that name is put on a car, it represents dependability, reliability, craftsmanship, and don't touch. <laughs> because there'll be somebody behind you with a rag might wiping off your fingerprint. What's in a name? The Jews had it right when it came to God's name. They had such a respect for God and an understanding of his greatness and majesty and holiness that they dared not even speak the name of God. It became superstitious, but they wouldn't even speak the name Jehovah. They referred to God as the name so that they did not take on their lips the sacred name of God. Today it's thrown around as a swear word. Do you know that when they were copying the scriptures, the scribes, when they're copying one book of the Old Testament and copying it on the scroll, when they copied the scriptures, before they would write the name of God, they would get up, wash themselves, come back, and then write God's name. Of course, as any kind of practice, even among us, this practice became superstitious to most, and they would not even utter God's name at all. And you know that, God has revealed himself to us through his names. Jehovah-Jireh, Adonai, and on and on we can go. That's a whole other sermon. To know God's name is to know God himself. Isaiah 52, 6, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he. He. Who speaks, behold it is I. Psalm 7:17, 7, I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most High. There are those who know the name of God as a word, but do not know the God whose name is represented in this person. I can go to Psalm 20 and verses 1 through 9, again equating God's righteousness with his name and his deliverance with his name. His name describes his character, who he is, what he's done, some aspect of his nature. His names, if you study them, they show the fullness of who he is. Using the name means more than regarding the personal name of God as holy and treating it reverently. It means that but much more. We should be reverent of who God is, of all that he is, and all that he's done, all that he's doing, all that he will do. When we hallow the name of God, we're honoring God in relation to some aspect of his revealed nature, his character, or his person. That's what the word name means. We are acknowledging God as God it means we know something about him. And we're acknowledging what we know and our relationship to him. So to acknowledge God and hallow his name means that we know him as he has revealed himself in the Bible, not as we think he is or ought to be. Can I repeat that? Because a lot of that second part is what is going on in churches today. To acknowledge God means that we know him as he has revealed himself in the Bible, not as we think he is or what we think he ought to be. I think that's one of the reasons God was, can I use the word brutal? Don't take that in a negative sense. That God was brutal with Job's misguided comforters, because God said to them, you have not spoken of me rightly like my servant Job has. Honor, praise, thanksgiving, glory, fear, Reverence as well as obedience belong to God as God because He is God. The tense and meaning of this petition Hallowed be thy name is an aorist imperative, which shows an event or action in point of time and not repeated action. So we're asking God to act on his behalf once and for all that his name would be hallowed. It could be referring to an event It could be referring to God bringing people in their individual lives to a proper attitude towards him and reverence of him. It is us requesting that God will once and for all hallow his name. And folks, keep this in its Jewish context and keep it within the context of the model prayer itself. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Three requests that we can't, the other two requests, we can't separate it from. It goes right along with those next two petitions. God's name will be hallowed, his kingdom will come, and his will will be done in this earth. And we need to keep this in its Jewish character God has in the past used methods to hollow his name that seem strange to us. Like God pouring out his wrath on a nation. Sometimes God even allowed the enemies of righteousness, the enemies of God and the enemies of his people, to prosper for a time. God's people had been persecuted God's name, for a time, keep that in mind, for a time, maligned and profane. But in the end, it will be hallowed. And it will be done done on God's own timetable and in his own way. And we leave it to God as to where, when, and how he will hallow his name not up to us to tell God how to do his business. Turn, if you would, to the book of Ezekiel. I told you I was going to take you here. I have a few verses I want us to look at. Ezekiel chapter 20. Verse 41. I will accept you with your sweet savor when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries in which you have been scattered, and I will be sanctified in you before the nations. Now I read that verse. Go back to verse 33. There is coming a day when God will hallow his name by reestablishing the nation of Israel in their land. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with fury poured out, will I rule over you. And I will bring you out from the peoples, will gather you out of the countries in which ye are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there will I enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness and the land of Egypt, so will I enter into judgment with you, saith the Lord of God. God has compared what he's going to do in the future to what he did in the past. As there was a physical event in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so there will be a physical event in the future in the regathering of the nation of Israel to their land. And I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant, and I will purge out from among you the rebels and them that transgress against me. I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, go serve every one his idols, and hereafter also, if you will not hearken unto me, but pollute my holy name, no more with your gifts and with your idols. For in my holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of Israel, saith the Lord God, there shall all the house of Israel, all of those in the land serve me. There will I accept them, and there will I require your offerings and the firstfruits of your oblations, with all your holy things. I will accept you with your sweet savor when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries in which ye have been scattered, and I will be sanctified in you before the nations. And ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I bring, shall bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I lifted up mine hand to give it to your fathers. And there shall you remember your ways and all your doings in which you have, defiled, you have been defiled, and you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all your evils that you have committed. And ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I have wrought with you for my name's sake not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O ye house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Pay attention to what has happened in this passage of Scripture. God has linked his name and his reputation to fulfilling of the promises and prophecies to the nation of Israel. And in the Jewish character of this model prayer, with the two requests that follow, we are asking God to do what he has promised to do, to act on his behalf and hallow his name. When a Jewish person heard that word hallow, they would have come back to passages of scripture like this or Leviticus 22 and some of the other ones that I have read. And they would have understood what it meant for God to hallow his name. I need to stop there. I'll go over some of these others next time I'm here. But God has linked his name, his reputation, his character to the fulfilling of the promises he made to the nation of Israel. And just as they were physically scattered into the nations, God said, I'm going to bring you out of those nations. There's coming a day when the nation of Israel will look on him whom they have pierced, and they will see Christ coming on a white horse as the heavens depart as a scroll. And he has a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. And God will pour his spirit out on the nation of Israel. They will be saved. And he's not doing it for their sake. Who is he doing it for? His own name's sake. I get passionate about some of these things. Because God has a reputation that's on the line. And my God does not lie. My God keeps his promises, his covenants, and this will be fulfilled. And so to pray, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are actually praying for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed from heaven and God's kingdom to be established. You know the first phrase of the book of Revelation? Turn there, if you would, and I'll close with this. We look to the book of Revelation, and we say, these are the things that are going to happen in the end times, and we get caught up in all the details, all the things that are going on in the book of Revelation, and we, we question this, we question that, we argue among ourselves, but you know what the book of Revelation is about? Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The latter days when God will hallow his name and every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't get caught up in the details. It's nice to study it, nice to know it, organize it. Revelation is about the revealing of who Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords Father we pray for that day we ask you to reveal yourself to the nations and continue as you have done from eternity past to eternity future to keep your promises to your people Pray in Jesus' name.